Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pop Theologians. Hey, John. Hey, Marcy. How are you doing? <laughs> you know, it's just another day of civic activity here in West Hollywood. <sighs> Always great to meet someone in the resistance, John. <laughs> Fellow resistor. Yes. Um, so hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pop Culture Theologians. We are going to be breaking down the purge. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, we are hosted on the Engage Gaze, and that's engagegaze.com. Uh, so shout out to the Engage Gaze. And um, John, where can you find us on social media? You can find us on Facebook and Twitter, both at Pop Theologians. Um, we're sassier on Twitter than we are on Facebook. That's because we're young, right? <laughs> we're, we're millennials. Are we millennials or are we like millennialers? Or what's the new name? Oh, the I think we're technically elder millennials. I'm just going to go with elder. Right? I like elder. <laughs> Get so, off my lawn. Right, right. Like we're, we're the folks with the wisdom in this group. And, and for those of you that can't see us because you're listening, wisdom is in air quotes. Right. <laughs> so, John, why don't you break down what happened this week for us? Well, I finally get to live my Sophia Petrillo, Sophia Petrillo favorite moment from the Golden Girls. And I get to say, there's a hurricane a coming. There's a hurricane a coming. <laughs> there's a hurricane a coming. And so, right now, um, the Carolinas are being evacuated for Hurricane Florence, um, which is, you know, still scary because a lot of the underlying um, levels are at sea level or below. So a lot of people have a lot to prepare for. So we're wishing them all the best of luck, especially because Marcy herself uh, evacuated Miami as of Florida. So happy one year anniversary to you, Marcy, for having to leave Gosh, and leave your home. I know. It's weird. It's... um. We evacuated for Irma last year, um, for Irma Gerd. <laughs> so Irma Gerd. I know it's weird uh, seeing everyone kind of go through the same thing, and um, it's super, it's super stressful. It's scary because no decision you make feels right. So yeah, a lot of love to everyone going through Florence. Uh, what else is going on this week, John? Apparently, George Zimmerman threatened Beyonce. I know. Uh, I really hate seeing George Zimmerman kind of like trend on Twitter because I'm like, oh, good, he's dead. And then I'm like, oh, no, he threatened or someone purged him. Right. It's just awful. Oh, yeah. Don't leave our queen alone. Leave Seriously. her alone. Seriously. Buzz away, my friends. <laughs> buzz away. And apparently the biggest thing that happened this week is Marcy bought tickets to Halloween Horror Nights, which yes! I don't know how you did that. I am so excited. Um, we've been going for like seven years and, um, now that we're in Florida, we used to go at Universal in LA, we go to Orlando and it is massive. And I'm so excited because there's always a purge sector. So I'm super excited because there's stranger things this year. Um, but honestly, I still, I get, my heart goes a little aflutter every time we go into a purge sector. So I'm super excited. I hope I'll be breaking it down on this podcast. I think we'll still be breaking down the show at that point. So oh, definitely. everyone will hear me scream. <laughs> well, and one of the 
biggest things to happen this week is that we are so excited to announce that Jessica Mizell will be guest starring on an upcoming episode um, yes. for the podcast. So we want to give her major shout outs as well as other members of the cast that have been liking our funny uh, tweets on everything on Instagram or Facebook. And we are so excited to have Allison and her shoulder pads on the podcast in a few weeks when we record with her. And we're so excited to bring that to you. Yeah, I am so, so excited. Um, She's still the one I I mostly identify with. I'm like, yeah, that'd be me. I'd be in an office, super pissed, knowing too much and not knowing what the hell to do. I've definitely seen a boss's computer before and have to be like, uh, am I supposed to be seeing this right now? Right, right. Yeah, power to the underlings. (laughs) Power to the underlings. So Marcy, let's break down The Purge episode two. The Purge! broadcast system announcing the commencement of the annual purge sanctioned by the u.s government weapons of class four and lower have been authorized for use during the purge all other weapons are restricted government officials of ranking 10 have been granted immunity from the purge and shall not be harmed commencing at the siren any and all crime including murder will be legal for 12 continuous hours police fire and emergency medical services will be unavailable until tomorrow morning at 7 a.m when the purge concludes Blessed be our new founding fathers and America, a nation reborn. May God be with you all. So episode two uh, is titled Take What's Yours, um, which I thought was great. Uh, I was kind of excited about that title because I was like, yeah, what am I supposed to take in this purge? Like, exactly. Right. So the episode opens up with this like super creepy dude prepping for his purge. Um, and then we get this voiceover of the, I'm going to call him the purge narrator. Um, he's the opposite of Morgan Friedman. He brings you no calm, but this voice has become really recognizable to folks who love the purge. So purge God <laughs> speaks over and says like purge for the brave, like what is more American than the purge? And what do we purge, right? And then he's like, the voice says, we purge to heal. We purge to right some wrongs. We purge because we're hurt. Uh, We purge to give life and we purge to take life. This episode definitely, in my opinion, should have been called uh, Let the Games Begin because it was just insanely like all over the place and I got and we're gonna get there but when Miguel goes through like his like almost hunger games type of scenario for like living through the purge games as I want to call them like it was just like I just kept getting Katniss flashbacks yeah it was it was the type of episode that like you want as a second episode so it it wasn't all exposition like there was like immediately kind of like a go 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 um so I thought that was great, right? Um, you've got like in, in like a very short overview before we kind of dive in, you've got Jane is clearly waiting for her boss to get killed. You've got Rick and Jenna who are at this Stanton Kiro, like serial killer party and they get to meet the beautiful green goddess in the dress finally. Uh, you've got Miguel still trying to find Penelope and Penelope trying to find St. Peter because she's seriously trying to get herself killed. She's uh, trying to literally get herself killed. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so it starts off with this, like, 
dude who's like prepping for the purge and he's looking at this woman's face on his computer while listening to, you know, like this Rush Limbaugh of the purge. Um, so it's like the new founding fathers radio, right? It was and, definitely Rush Limbaugh. Like oh, we yeah. can just call it Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> They're not even trying to hide it. Um, but we don't know anything about this character. He's kind of like ominous and it's like, oh, you just wait. Like you think you know the three characters, like the three story arcs. Let's throw in a fourth. This dude's pissed at this woman and we'll get to it later, right? Like, so it's kind of like breadcrumb dropping. I thought really we were following these three storylines and then they dropped this new one right at the beginning, um, which I was like, all right, I'll follow this. This is probably a pissed off white dude because <laughs> that's that's the type of dude who's like prepping, waiting uh, on Tinder, looking for some chick, right? So. It's probably Bumble because that's <laughs> where like the women choose the man. And like, you know, these men, you know, they're just like sick, like mother truckers. And so they're probably just waiting there, like with some fancy profile photo to be chosen, like the creepsters they are. You are so cute. I love that you assume that I know what Bumble is. Like, I dated back in the days of yore. Where, like, you had you wrote letters, right? Isn't yeah. that what you did? You wrote like like snail mail letters, like dear cute boy. Yeah, no, I actually like chopped off a piece of my hair, put it in a locket, like sealed it with a wax seal, and sent it to my love. <laughs> But I didn't get that locket, Marcy. So we're going to have to talk offline about this. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to figure out where the locket went, John. <laughs> so speaking of like romance and in, in the purge, uh, we move on from this like new founding fathers news radio with the clearly bumble date gone wrong to philanthropic goddess whose name is what, John? <laughs> um, Lila. Or as we now call her, so we can officially identify mysterious threesome girl as Lila. Lila. And she likes to take safaris, vacations, and does house building. Okay, this was honestly maybe my favorite little snippet of this entire episode. Um, so, John, did you ever go on a mission trip, like when you were a kid? Um, the only mission trip I went on is to my television to watch a lot of television with gay characters to overwrite what I heard in my Wednesday catechism classes. <laughs> Sorry, I'm like picturing you in Wisconsin, like watching Golden Girls, like with a big like fuck you to the patriarchy. So you want to know ultimately why I hated catechism so much? I do. <laughs> so it aired on Wednesday nights and what also aired on Wednesday nights was Dawson's Creek. Oh, no, no. Like, how dare you, Catholic Church? How dare you? <laughs> so that's, I mean, don't get me wrong. I hated it for a lot of other reasons, but I found that one to be a personal attack. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> mission trips, mission trips. So I, I grew up, obviously, super Christian, super Catholic. Um, one of the things that always, now when I look back, I kind of blush and feel a lot of shame over is mission trips. So when you were in youth group, um, you would like tell everyone and you would fundraise that you were doing a mission trip, right? Like I'm going to Tanzania for a mission trip. And then when you came back from said mission trip, you'd be like, yeah, I went on a safari and I had like a ton of fun with my friends. And we took like tons of really cool pictures. Oh, and we built a house for some poor people. Like it was such a white savior complex and a privileged, like, 
lunacy. So Lila, when she's kind of mingling at this party, gets asked about her recent trip to Tanzania, right? And she's like, yeah, I took like a like a safari and you know we had to shop a little and eat some food and then this other woman interrupts her and goes and you built houses for the poor right <laughs> like I was like oh they're throwing shade at uh these trips and I loved it I just loved it I, I just I'm I'm a big like believer in never trust someone who likes to wear their goodness on their sleeves you know she definitely had the white savior complex going full throttle I know, I know. I, I'm living for it. Um, so, I'm so glad we have a name for her now, though. I know. What a sexy name, too. Lila is exactly the type of name that I thought I would grow into, and I didn't. <laughs> I had to look it up because I was like, is it Lila, L-I-L-A, like it's spelled? Or is it Lila, which I originally was looking up, L-I-L-A? Um, a H and you know it was the former not the latter but I was like you know the white variations of how you can spell Lila really confounded me while I was live tweeting the show on Tuesday <laughs> well I'm really proud that you came through the other side of that man <laughs> yeah I it was a dark tunnel <laughs> so we get this like look at our white savior um Lila <laughs> spelled with an a like Anne with an a um a little nugget of nerdydom. Which is definitely going to be our next podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, like, d- don't flirt with me, John. I'm a married woman. <laughs> so we, we punt back out of this uh, party to Miguel, who is still looking for his sister. Um, I feel like this is going to be the theme of this show. Uh, where's Penelope? Like, I want to do like a milk carton shirt with Penelope. So Miguel if we ever serve merch. If we ever sell merchandise, it definitely has to be that. Yes. Yes. If we ever do merch, we're going to do a like save Penelope shirt. Um, so Miguel is driving through it's NOLA, right? It's New Orleans. Uh, yeah. So he's driving through New Orleans and it, you get the sense that it's already within like three seconds of that purge siren turned into a straight up war zone. Um, and you know, I love talking about trauma. Um, I think it's a trigger for him. So this is a kid who has been to war, right? He's a Marine. And immediately this, this city has turned into like ground zero for war. Um, and something that's kind of heartening is he sees this like makeshift ambulance that is helping someone who's clearly been in an attempted purge. And he can't help himself. Like he actually, he, he's looking for Penelope. He's got his eye on the prize, right? Um, it's like, it's like an episode of like Taken, right? He's like, leave me soon. He's like, I'm going to find you. But yet this ambulance, he's like, yeah, I should probably stop because I'm a good person. Um, uh, shout out to Snooki. I'm a good person. <laughs> and if you're watching the movies, take a drink because in the second or in the third film, they have an ambulance scene and they have a direct reference to the ways in which the ambulance is driven around by the one character and they're completely exempt from Purge Night. Right. I thought that was interesting. So he stops to talk to these folks and they're not like, they're not first responders. Like it's a history teacher and a claims adjuster. And they're, and Miguel, I guess he's been away from the Purge for a while while he was in the Marines. It's like, 
yo, like, this is unsafe. Like, you guys need to get inside. But let me help you find this invisible bullet that you guys haven't seen and save this dude's life. And while they're talking, um, Miguel kind of gets his first glimpse into the resistance. So these are the average folks who are like, yeah, like there's kind of like an unwritten rule that if we're out here, like servicing folks, you're not gonna, you're not gonna fucking purchase, right? Um, which I think is kind of great um, that there's this idea that even amongst chaos, like even, even in the mud and the blood, there's some rules, like some tiny, tiny rules by which you would be judged for. So even in the purge, you would be judged if you went after these guys. Um, which as we approach a very dystopian world in our own world, it is a little bit comforting to think that there are still basic tenets of goodness that hopefully we wouldn't completely shatter, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so Miguel is helping them. Um, he shows his like amazing badass skills as an EMT and he kind of breaks down that he's looking for someone, he needs help. And they tell him to find some dude named Pete the cop. Right. And they give him the password and they're like, he's got a cantina, go find him. Um, so again, we keep seeing these little pockets of resistance and also like safe spaces so we get the idea that pete's cantina pete the cop his cantina is a safe space as well um so if you're looking at safe spaces you've got the places where you've signed contracts like floor 38 where jane um is working and then you've got these like safe zones around these ambulances and then places that are underground like this cantina um and then before before we flash back to floor 38, um, as Miguel is prepping to find this cantina, and also every time I say cantina, I'm like so close to breaking out into some Star Wars. Um, it's just not a word I use very often, and when I do, it's in Star Wars fan fiction. So um, we jump from the assumption that Miguel is going to see Pete the Cop to a very quick view of Penelope on the blue bus. And um, what's important about this very quick snippet is, remember how I was like, I want to know what this bus looks like after after Arthur's been purged, our, our sweet Arthur. Rest Ooh. in peace, Arthur. Rest in peace, Arthur. He says, rest in peace is Arthur. <laughs> that's our Hashtag second. went there. I was about to say, that's our second piece of merchandise, dude. <laughs> rest in pieces. Um, oh, I love that, John. <laughs> I love that. That is so dark. Um, so we're on the blue bus with the blues, again, the worst cult ever. And we hear their, their litany of prayers. Um, so the prayer that they are repeating over and over and over again is purify my flesh, prepare my soul. The purge is near. The invisible is here. And there's, there's something about a mantra that my little Catholic culty heart will always be like, yeah, I get that. That does calm you down. <laughs> so you see that they're using very like basic religion 101, which is if, if you are nervous, if you are scared, start to say something in repetition. Um, John, did you used to say the rosary, even if you weren't particularly religious, just because it made you feel better? Um, so I do have to fully admit that I'm the worst Catholic oh God, ever. You don't know the Hail Mary, do you? 
I know, <laughs> I know the abbreviated version, which I think goes a little bit like this. Hail Mary, sister and goddess Obama, full of grace, may the Bianca Del Rios be with you and the forevermore grant you Sophia Petrillo, amen. I, you know, I felt like that was really powerful, John. That was my prayer. <laughs> that was a much stronger prayer than purify my flesh, prepare my soul. The purge is near, the invisible is here. <laughs> but um, I did like this scene because it felt, <laughs> it's so creepy for me to say, it felt like home, but it felt like home. I was like, yeah, that is what you would do to calm down a bus full of hormonal freakouts, right? Like. Um, so we transition from this like snippet of Penelope on the bus to Allison. Oh, Allison, my favorite character in the whole show. And I'm not just saying this because she's coming on. Like these scenes break up so much of like the emotional and moral turmoil that we see on the screen, especially just coming from this girl on the blue bus that's literally freaking out because guess what? She signed up for something that she don't want to do. So we're going to come back to that in a second. But we go to Allison, who... Um, her boss is gone. Her boss is Jane. And she goes into her office and she looks at, at Jane's computer. And as you see from not only her reaction, she sees a little bit too much. So she's definitely catching on to Jane's plan that Jane has hired someone to basically go and kill her um, sleazy, sexually harassing, Les Moonves, like in the purge world boss. And so definitely um, this goes with what I think is just like a theme on every show is that the underlings always know. So like treat them well, like they're the ones that know where the bodies are buried, literally in this case, but they're also the people that are always looking to cause trouble. And so what happens is, is Jane comes back as Allison gets done looking and she can totally sense that something's not right because Allison um, says like, well, you know, it sucks that we can't purge, but we all have have that purge list don't you have that purge list and you can totally know like Allison's is like that one that like, she keeps on her notes on her iPhone that like anytime somebody pisses her off at work like they definitely go on the purge list so if someone like totally ate her food in the refrigerator that person's definitely getting purged the next year if she hasn't if she doesn't have to work that night so um she says something like that to really signal to jane that she knows um and then we get a flashback um to jane um starting to work with david Riker, um who is billy baldwin in the show and you know the boss really considers himself this artiste you know he's the type of you know, global capitalist that has, you know, trying to invest in the community. And, you know, Jane really flatters him. And she's definitely overqualified for this job, but she gets it. And there's kind of this little flirtation that you go, well, is he giving her the job because he wants to sleep with her? Spoiler alert, he definitely <laughs> does. But, or is, you know, what is she doing? She obviously doesn't see this because she definitely wants the job. Because when you look at the economic disparities, when we just throw back a real life statistic, that people, um, women, for, um, people from communities of color face when they're finally um, granted almost like a foot in the door to this white global capitalistic enterprise that, you know, what else are they supposed to feel 
other than like happy that they got it. They're not sitting there reading into the narrative that they're only getting it because they're being objectified, which is clearly what the viewers get to see. And I think Jane, um, the character that plays her, play acts it really well, but she really works hard and shows that, you know, she's definitely the, the best employee there, but she keeps getting passed up from for promotions and it's ultimately because you know she won't sleep with her boss it's the tale as old as time that you know you're just not the one that he's gonna get either because she won't sleep with him because she has what we call morals yes they do exist in the purge world but little does you know she know or does he know specifically that you know the last promotion that she didn't get well definitely jane's got a purge list now and he's definitely on it so she um has to work on purge night so she has to sign her way to purge and it is her right as she says to purge um and so she reaches out to an assassin um braca as marie livingston from america's next top model shout out to her she's um, she's amazing um and first of all, can probably do more push-ups than I can in any given setting. And she did them on camera and looked flawless. So um, keep it up. And literally what happens is, is um, the purge night starts. And that's what we saw at the end of the first episode. We didn't really know what type of contract she was working it out with this person or who this person was. But this is where we start seeing that people that give up their right to purge, which, you know, they're instinctively taught to believe, um, show that this is the norm that, uh, you know, you do have the right to purge. It is, you know, the ways in which these ethical norms shift and new norms are encouraged. And so you have Jane hiring this assassin who is going to like Facebook live, the basic assassination of her boss. And that is what the app, that she's looking at, as well as um, what Allison, I think, sees on the computer screen or what is alluded to, and the scene then changes and we find ourselves back on the blue bus. <laughs> we do. So connection between the blue bus and, and Jane, and this kind of like look at Jane um, and her relationship with David Riker is, um, on the last episode of the podcast, we talked a lot about how damaging it is to people when we ask them to make themselves smaller, right? And so we were talking about that with Penelope and and the the blue cult, right? And how, you know, there's something so dangerous about asking people to become smaller and smaller. Um, and with Jane, we see what it looks like in the real world, right? So with the cult, we see it like blown up to this dystopic proportion in this cult where it's like, yeah, I will make myself so small, I will let you kill me. But with Jane, we see what that looks like on the day-to-day, -day, right? So um, like you said, like women, people of color, queer folks consistently in this world are asked to become smaller and smaller um, or to take up less and less space while simultaneously bearing the brunt of a lot of responsibility and labor. And so, it's, it's interesting to me because I, I can't tell if we're supposed to judge Jane for what she's doing um, from that like moral lens that you were talking about, or if there's a part of us that is supposed to be rooting for Jane because fuck David Riker, like fuck every single boss that's ever, especially as a woman, that has made you feel small while simultaneously taking credit for your work and and kind of making you take on all this labor. So I have kind of like these mixed feelings of like, Jane is problematic because she clearly has the agency and wealth to move enough money to purge someone. Um, and Allison does not. 
And I think we get that when Allison's like, yeah, like who doesn't have a purge list? Like, you know, I would have purged the dude who stood me up, but, um, but you don't get the sense that Allison can do that. Whereas Jane can. Um, oh yeah, that's right. We totally missed the most important part of that conversation. Right. Allison is literally going to purge a bad date experience. I don't blame her. <laughs> I mean, girl, I've been there. I, uh, John, what is your worst date ever in, in 10 words or less? Um, oh my God. There. I think my worst date ever was probably when I found out the person was actually married. No. And to a woman. Oh. Well. And, it, and I didn't discover it. I like, it was a great date. And then when I kind of did a little searching, this was kind of before I was in college when, you know, social media was starting to be a thing. And I was like, wow, okay. Not responding to that person. Oh no. Well, yeah. that, might be, that might be worse than mine, but I did go on a blind date um, when I was in college and the dude, I was like, so like, are you into music? And he was like, no. And I was like, what? He's like, no, I don't, I don't really like noise. And I was like, check, check. Someone give me a check. I need to get out of here. Um, he deserved to be purged. Like, what are you, an alien? You don't like music at all? Like nothing? Like, get, get out of here. Get out of here. So, um, but yeah, I knew Allison's like, yeah, like everyone has a purge list. Like I would totally purge dude from floor 28 because he stood me up for a date yeah, it's relatable. Cause like, she's not like, she's just kind of like, every time I see him on the elevator, I want to die a little bit inside. And once a year, maybe I could just not die a little bit inside and I could just get the fuck rid of him, you know? So I thought that was like a great way to talk about what it would look like to normalize this shit. So, cause Jane kind of looks horrified. She's like, you would purge someone over a bad date. And Allison looks upset at that judgment. She's kind of like, yeah, it's my right. And, um, and I think a lot about the ways in which we're seeing dehumanization in our own world, right? Like, um, I, I'm like hesitant to use the term good folks, but like, we all know like people that we consider good folks or like people we love seeing horrific things and feeling really entitled to say them, right? And it's because it's all been fucking normalized. Like, yeah, put kids in cages. Yeah, like throw your gay kid out on the street, right? Um, so Allison in that moment is a good reminder that good people can pick up really, really bad fucking theology and, and navigating that is really difficult when you are resisting, right? Not that Jane's resisting, Jane's just killing on the down low. So, um, but that was an interesting scene, um, having two women kind of break down the power dynamics and theology of the purge was interesting. Um, so speaking of theology, uh, this, this scene with Jane jumps back to the blue bus. We really need a, a different name for this blue bus. Like the ride what from- called? I don't remember. I, no, I don't think we've been given a full on name for this cult. Um, and if we have shame on John and I, since we should know that by now, but also shame on Purge because we haven't picked it up yet. So- And if you're listening to this podcast and you know the episode and you know yes. the name- Tweet well, us. obviously, I just did it again. Obviously, you're listening to this podcast. But tweet <laughs> us. Let us know what the name is. And we're definitely going to make sure we're better on the next episode. Yeah. So we're back on the ride from hell. 
And the woman, the woman, she's like barely gone through puberty. The, the girl who's sitting in front of Penelope apparently has a come to, to Jesus moment uh, and realizes she's on a bus to her death and starts hyperventilating and like freaking out. And she asks Penelope, like, you know, what was your parents giving like? Um, that's really fucked up. <laughs> so I thought Penelope was going to lose her shit and be like, how dare you ask about my parents? But no. And this is super important. She reacts exactly like someone who's in a cult reacts when being asked about their trauma. She uses really flowery language to describe something horrific. So she's like, you know, my parents at their giving, like, no, sweetheart, it wasn't their giving. It's your giving because you're calling it that, but that's the night your parents were murdered. But she's like, at their giving, the only reason it hurt them is because they didn't want to be killed. Um, that's a super dark way of doing exactly what we called in the last episode, which was, you know, they didn't pray hard enough. They like didn't believe hard enough. Um, and it's chilling to see someone say it, but if we're tying it to like, to our, our real reality, right? We see this a lot with like parents who, who do reject like their gay kids, right? And they're like, there's a, the way that they talk is, is, is chilling. It's like, you know, my son, he's turned his back on the Lord and his family. And that's, that rhetoric is super, super common. So, um, so I think it's really powerful to have this very young character parrot, that type of callousness that is indoctrination. That is not actually how she feels. Like that is exactly how you process something that you're trying not to process. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so then she talks a bit about like, what she's going to do when she sees her parents in the life after um, and how she'll, she'll tell them she loves them and she missed them. And like, John, that's the moment where I'm like, dude, this is a little girl who is really in over her head. Right. There's definitely something that happened to her. Either she was unable to deal with her parents' death. We don't know how Miguel left or went to war or if he was forced to go. We don't know what that looks like. There's definitely more to this story because she's not only been, and I hate to use the word brainwashed because I don't want to take away her agency because I definitely think there is a part of her that wants to be there. It's just like almost a veiled version of her wanting to be there before she has that epiphany of like, oh my God, these people are literally trying to kill me. But I definitely think that when you see it, it is a discussion of trauma because she doesn't know how to go past um, a huge loss in this world that basically says her parents died for a specific reason, but you know, they weren't supposed they and they only did it in a certain way because, you know, they didn't, you know, want to go. They were murdered. Right. And I think too, like I think the I think the world doesn't see it that way in the purge world. Like in the purge world, her parents got purged and that fucking sucks, which is why the message of a cult would be appealing because it takes back the power of that narrative. Right. So um, in the purge world, it's like the Donald Trump of war. Right. It's like, oh, I don't like fucking people who get purged. They're losers. Right. And that might be too much for a young girl like Penelope to handle, which is why the message of the blues right? Worst cult ever is so appealing because it gives meaning to something she can't make any sense of. Um, and I'm sure we're going to get more backstory to the actual like murder and loss of her parents. Um, but it, it's just, it's a very loud traumatic loss, right? So Melissa, this girl that's sitting in front of her, that's like having serious regrets, uh, <laughs> 
the look on her face was like, yeah, sure, Penelope, sure. Um, I, I still don't want to be here. And then surprise to no one, right? Like Penelope gives her that like creepy cold hug. Um, John, because you didn't go to CCD enough, you wouldn't know this, but we like to call those in, in religious trauma, side hugs. She gives her like the creepiest side hug. It, we call Jesus hug, right? Um, and like kind of just reassures her it'll be okay. And we all know that this girl it's not is gonna not going to be okay. okay. <laughs> no. And then what does Penelope do though? She, she comforts her, like, right? Like she just comforts her and, and tells her that it'll be okay, that, that it's the gift of giving. Yeah, Pen but Penelope offered herself up instead. Right, she does. She later on in the episode, she she offers to take Melissa's spot because honestly, it's such a it's obvious that Melissa's the next one up. Like M Melissa's the next one up. She's going to get picked by. I, I keep calling her Chucky's daughter because uh, I don't know if we have a name for her yet. But uh, the cult leader uh, picks Melissa. I honestly think because she knows she's freaking out, she needs to get her off the bus, right? Like, she keeps saying that, like, it is, like, Wild who goes next on the blue bus, but I think it's just, like, we need to get this girl off the bus before she freaks out more people, and Penelope is, like, it's all right, I'll go next, I'll show her how to be brave, and cult leader's, like, sit the fuck down, it's not your turn, <laughs> it's this girl's turn, um, and it's super unnerving, so they walk Melissa off the bus, they're, they're watching her about to get given so about to get purged and in in true like style amazingness uh which is what i love about the purge and its imagery the people who are going to purge melissa are two bros in presidential masks with golf clubs right so that is a super striking image of this young girl being taken by power patriarchy um it, it kind of shook me to the core because you don't hear her, you, not you don't hear her, you don't see her get cut. Um, with Arthur, we had, we didn't see him get cut because this is 10 p.m., you know, FX, this isn't like 10 p.m. HBO, but we see the shadow images of Arthur getting chopped up into pieces in the, in the previous episode. Here, it's much, I think it's a much stronger kill um, you just, they zoom in on Penelope's face and her horror, and you hear the like blunt force trauma of these golf clubs. Um, and it's, it's just like, uh, it was, it was, it was an awful kill. Like I, like, I don't like glorifying murder, even in my horror films. Like that's the one that's supposed to give you a gut check. So, and it definitely did. And from what I saw on Twitter, it definitely gave a lot of people gut checks because they really realized like what this cult was really about at this time. And it was not pretty. It felt like homage is not the right word, but like it literally felt like dudes like date raping and murdering a girl and this world has made that okay. Um, and so, yeah, I was a little shaken by it. Me too. And so what happens then is, of course, we go back to what? 
Oh, we're back at the crazy psycho purge night party. And we finally hear Lila, who comes up to see Jenna, who's acting all shy and coy. And Lila acts really surprised to see her. And that Lila then goes into, uh, you know, this whole exposition about, you know, she's here to make the world a safer place for her dad's money. That is such a strange line. Definitely. And her dad's definitely a new founding father. We don't know like how high up he is. Oh, he's the, John, he's the dude throwing the party. No, I know he's the dude throwing the party, but like, whereas you see in the third film, like, is he the leader? Is he part of the inner core? He's definitely high up there. And then you have this daughter, you know, it's very like the not the daughters of Nazis, you know, they would be out there doing service while their fathers were killing millions of people and you know it's like that doesn't make your actions any less worse than what they are and so she's sitting there in this huge exposition trying to say she's basically trying to make a good thing out of a bad thing and we should call this an Ivanka she is complicit just like Ivanka she's Ivanka-ing um you know while her father is raising tons of money and you know ultimately watching people get killed and you really see a lot of how jenna's super uncomfortable um her boyfriend or husband isn't there um she's not drinking um but you know like why isn't jenna drinking like is there something why isn't she drinking (laughs) usually that's a sign in like television lore that she's got a baby but you know we definitely don't know what's going on. So we're calling it now. Maybe Jenna's pregnant or she hasn't told anyone yet. And that will be the thing. She was sick. And in the first episode, she kept saying her like stomach hurt. And like, um, granted, I'm, I am going to say, would I be drinking at a purge party? Fuck no. No. Hell no. I, okay, seriously. I, I can barely walk sober. So <laughs> I'm not drinking at a party where like, no, come on. But I, there's enough breadcrumbs there that I'm like, maybe. Maybe. And definitely the other big breadcrumb that we see later on at the end of the episode, but specifically here, is that Jenna and Lila are actually the ones that like each other. So that just makes so much sense for why Jenna didn't want to see Lila and why Lila is almost really um, you know, talking to Jenna more. She wants to be where her is. So are they in love with each other and not Rick? Is homosexuality discouraged in this world? Like, I don't know, but there's a ton of tension. And, you know, she just starts going into another exposition about her white saviorhood. And there's a lot of foreshadowing. And she promises, Lila promises to take care of them to Rick. We you know? call them <laughs> We should call them Jalila. Agreed. Agreed. And also, can we have a tiny little moment for, again, one of those visuals that The Purge does so well, the serial killer mask that Lila picks up is Lizzie Borden, which I thought was such a good nod to like, do not trust this bitch. (laughs) Do not trust her. There is definitely something else there. Because what did Lizzie Borden do? Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. And when she saw she what she had done, she gave her father 41. Yes, yes. So we get another flashback to Floor 38 with Jane. And it's just more exposition of like how uncomfortable this relationship with David Riker is. Um, and every time I say Riker, I think of Rikers in New York, which is probably 
appropriate, right? Super dark, like ominous uh, jail, um, literally like one of the worst places on earth, right? Um, so one of the things that I, I kind of took in from this little snippet of Jane and David is that there is a an underling named Anya who I think does take David up on the affair and is getting promoted in front of Jane. Um, we, I don't think we've seen Anya present day that I can remember, but we do find out like that he keeps fucking over Jane for, for Anya. He definitely keeps fucking over someone for Anya. And then we get to the gauntlet. John, tell us about the gauntlet a little bit. So the gauntlet is where um, we get um, Miguel is runs into a group who are purging, who threaten him while he's in his car. Um, and kudos to the director of the episode for definitely allowing some gore to be shown, like point blank killings, shootings, and everything, because he does it through um, night vision. And that's just something when you like are really into how things get edited or shot, like, and how they're actually shown on television. That was a really unique cue on how we handled that. So Miguel's driving- a smart way to, to get through the FX versus HBO limitations, right? Because you don't have to actually see it to see it. Uh, yes, you don't have to. And Miguel sees it and he's obviously shocked, but he's on a mission. But what happens is, is he finds himself running into a group who, all of a sudden want to make him basically the ver Purge's version of a reality star. And he goes and gets almost kidnapped, which it is. And they obviously have done this to multiple people throughout the night. And he finds himself um, unwillingly having to go through the, the gauntlet. And you go back and you see the party scene and they're actually watching this. This is something that is being aired at the party. And they need to basically run around a block, which is like the hell block, and they have to survive it. And this plays for everyone watching. And it's like this ultimate like NFL watch party, but like for this bougie new founding fathers, they're watching it. And it's this guy named Otis, the host. And it's like Otis's gauntlet and he makes money off of purging people in this similar fashion to this car show that's really almost like American Ninja Warrior, but with like I don't actual think it's a, I don't think it's a coincidence that it's called The Gauntlet. So The Gauntlet was a, a reality TV show on MTV where, you know, you would go through these like harrowing like obstacle courses and the last one standing is the winner, right? And so getting back to like unspoken rules, right? I, I was thinking when I was watching this, like, so obviously it's fair game for you to grab someone and force them to do the block of hell, right? And the only way you you get out of the gauntlet is to make it out alive. So you have to go around this like neighborhood block and survive the purge in this block and it's all televised. But then I was like, wait, televised? Like, so unspoken rules, you don't fuck with the gauntlet, right? So um, obviously the new founding fathers are totally okay with this type of thing because they're airing it on live television. Um, so again, one of these, these places where, um, like, okay, so John and I worked for the city of West Hollywood, right? And I don't want to ruin reality TV for you folks, but like reality TV contracts would come into the city all the time and they would break down like bit by bit what was going to happen. Right. And so I was thinking like, there's no contract for this gauntlet, right? Or is there, right? Are the new founding fathers encouraging this shit? And literally, like, they will target people for the gauntlet. I was just kind of thinking of, like, in, in a real-world scenario what this looks like. Um, but it was fun to 
as a horror junkie to finally have like some adrenaline rush of like actual horror playing out on the screen. It right? was. And Miguel is literally kidnapped. He's told to run and he runs and he goes to this crazy obstacle, seeing dead bodies everywhere, having to fight. He needs to survive, obviously, because he hasn't found Penelope. So, you know, he's going to live, but there is some shocking moments there. And so we really see this like almost like human cockfighting scene going on before our very eyes. And he survives, not to many people's surprise. And then ultimately um, he says to the camera, Penelope, I'm going to find you. And I don't know why they segue to that. I'm guessing it might serve um, a purpose later on. Like if we're not all operating in the same like time, like if Penelope's behind and he's ahead, I definitely think we might see that in a later episode. And so it was really fascinating to see Miguel almost have to go through like this human gauntlet type of, you know, sacrifice that more people are going to succumb to throughout the night. So John... In our favorite new segment of this podcast, who would you throw into the gauntlet this week? Oh my God, that is such a difficult question every week because there are so many awful people. But I definitely think this week I'm throwing in Brett Kavanaugh, the Supreme Court Justice nominee, because something is about to come out about him that I think is going to hopefully stop his nomination, but he must be stopped at all ends. I have been reading everything that he said um, and written and all these secret emails that weren't released, and they're just awful. Yeah, it it really is awful. Um, So I was going to throw in Kavanaugh, but I guess not. Um... So my purge of the week would probably be Hurricane Florence. Because fuck you, Florence. Fuck you. Fuck Um. you, Hurricanes. (laughs) So um, next on the episode, we get Lila finally talking to Rick, who, yeah, like Rick is losing in this love story, right? Um, But Lila does not have the same love for Rick as she does for Jenna, which I'm, I'm living for. Um, horror has always been a bit of a, a safe zone for queer relationships. Um, but it's, it's just funny because like, I look at Jenna, I look at Lila and I'm like, yeah, bye Rick, (laughs) just get out of here. But, um, Lila, you can tell holds a ton of power in this room and she kind of lets Rick know that like, it's in her hands. And I'm like, yes, yes, Lila, it is in your hands. And Rick reminds me of like a wet mop. Um, not the actor, like you're adorable and you're doing a great job, my love. Um, just that, like his character is, is just not gonna like, sorry, we're, we're totally rooting for Jalila. So, um, Jalila forever. Jalila. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the purge, uh, gauntlet is playing in the background. Right. But, um, Miguel makes it out of this gauntlet and we can see that from, flashes to Miguel actually in the gauntlet and flashes to the show um, at the serial killer um, party. So it is kind of cool to get the show inside the show uh, feel, right? So we finally have some of our characters, I'm using air quotes, um, like Joey Tribbiani. (laughs) They're meeting (laughs) in this episode a little bit, which is great. Um, And so again, rooting for Jalila, 
Rick, you're in some deep shit. I'm not particularly sure you're going to get this contract. And Miguel, we're really proud of you for making it out of the gauntlet. We kind of expected that. Um, I actually wanted to say the gauntlet feels a lot like a Saw movie. Um, and the good Saw movies, like Saw 1 through 12, not like 12 through 30. Um, so, so yeah, huge shout out to, to the Saw films because I love them and this felt a little bit like that. Um, but the most important thing is at this party, Rick and Lila are having their super awkward discussion. Miguel looks at the camera when he comes out of the gauntlet and says, again, like Liam Neeson, uh, Penelope, I'm going to find you. <laughs> And whoever took you, I'm gonna. I have a specific set of skills, and they've <laughs> just been displayed on the television at Otis's Gauntlet ex- Extravaganza. And let me tell you, I wouldn't want to with Miguel. No, no. I I think Miguel has officially proven himself as uh, as not to be fucked with. The dude just made it through that gauntlet, uh, like easy peasy, right? Whereas, like, I don't think I would have made it three feet in it. So, so we are here, we are living for Taken Purge Edition. Uh, so John, this episode kind of rounds out with like a few more of those like little flashes to, to floor 28, not 28, floor 38. Floor 28 is where the dude who stood up Allison is. Um, and like we said, you have the discussion between Allison and Jane about like the purge list. and then the episode closes out with Penelope on the bus offering herself up for Melissa. Um, oh, and Miguel goes to this cantina and dude at the cantina is like, I don't have time for you. Um, so that's pretty much the episode. Uh, what did you think of this episode, John? I loved it. I thought it was a great second episode. The first episode had a real hard task of like setting up this world, especially from what I've been hearing and seeing and even talking with people that I know that have started to watch it. They haven't maybe even seen any of the films, let alone um, all four of them. So they've definitely entered a world that they don't know much about and they're curious. And so I tell them to go watch the films and listen to the podcast. (laughs) But um, what I think what we have here is the episode is getting us closer to these characters. What's really going on. You're starting to see the conflicts get even tighter specifically with how Jane's secret is definitely going to come out and what that's going to do on floor 38 where you can't technically purge. So is it going to be chaos for everyone? Who knows? Is Miguel, when is he going to find Penelope? How many more people on the blue bus are going to be sacrificed? Oh, I'm so sorry. Given to the invisible. Um, before like people actually start realizing that what's going on in this world is intensely and extremely screwed up. Yeah. So I think like my two takeaways for this episode or like the two questions that the episode kind of left me with um, were what does it mean to kind of create meaning and chaos? So we talked a bit about Penelope trying to make sense of her parents' death and how so often we process trauma in storytelling. I don't think I mentioned that before, but the, the way that I look at it is um, when we experience trauma and, and loss in our lives, the human instinct, the human tradition is to weave story into it, right? So um, I was actually talking to my boss today about this. So we were making fun of Latina families where um, it actually, like I hadn't even thought about this until she brought it up. 
when we're growing up, we would always hear of like relatives who died of like heartbreak, right? It'd be like, oh yeah, fulanita, she, she died of a broken heart or, or fulanito died, um, you know, because his, his dad died and he just couldn't keep on living. And as we've gotten older, we've realized that those stories are not true. <laughs> fulanita did not die of a broken heart. She committed suicide. And, um, but culturally we we struggle to tell hard truths so we tell softer falsehoods right and so we create meaning out of the chaos that we can't understand and so penelope and the cult is one example of that but then i was also thinking of like lila and like what if you grew up in the new founding fathers like not like you came into it but you've grown up in it you would eventually create a narrative that allows you to accept this chaos right so a lot of times we, we forget the other side of it, which is if you don't know any better, you wouldn't know that something is not wrong and you would have mythos and theology for why it's right, right? Uh, I was about to say why it's white, which is also appropriate. Um, and then the second question that I had is kind of a bigger uh, <laughs> what is evil question of um, are, are we intrinsically good? Like, do we have like... Are some folks intrinsically leaning towards an arch of justice, right? Which is what all of us hope is true, right? Um, like I in grad school, I took um, a class called like the problem of evil, and a lot of what we discussed was like, are is evil inevitable, or is there a way to look at humanity where we would say it isn't inevitable? Um, I don't know. I look at I look at the world today and I'm like, maybe evil is inevitable. Like people will just be people and people are shit. But then you look at something like Miguel who stops to help out an ambulance. And I'm like, wait, but, but think of like Mr. Rogers. And when he says, look for the helpers. Right. Um, so Miguel definitely watched Mr. Rogers growing up. Yeah, no, he, he probably has his cardigan like in his back seat. Um, but I think we're supposed to struggle with the idea of, of whether or not we are good. Would I purge? Would I not purge? Like, would I resist wholeheartedly? Like, it's just, it's interesting to think about it, you know? But I do well, think- it's really survival of the fittest when you think about it, or survival of the richest. I mean, it's a different take on Darwinian theory and understanding that if you don't purge, you're going to become the victim and you're only not the victim, uh, unless you've been able to afford a sand and security system to make sure <laughs> do you, do you that you can room, afford it. Do you think there's room for the question of, or for a world where it's survival of the good, right? I, like, obviously I'm like a, a shady ass bitch. So I'm going to say that today in our world, I don't know if survival of the good, survival of the, the right or resistance is, is a good lens, but do you think there's room to, to hope for a world where it isn't survival of the fittest, but it's survival of like the goodest? <laughs> well, I definitely think that the goodest uh, is being shown here. I mean, we have characters. Jane definitely, I think, is not going to be a survival of the good because she's clearly taken on the right, her right to purge. But when you look at Miguel, he is surviving for not only his sister, but, you know, to... I think live out what his parents 
um, what happened to them. And so I think we do have a few characters that are surviving for the good because it's that what they seen. still believe in. The good that's still exists in the show. That's the soul part that I really wanted to look at. Correct. I do think that we have characters that represent that soul and it's just if they get corrupted along the way. Right, I think Jenna also reads as someone who is trying to navigate an ethos of good, right? She she checks on the maid after Lila's mom like trashes her for something. Um, she seems to be very like aware in a way that Rick wasn't of the privilege that they entered their Uber in with, right? She keeps saying like, let's just find a room and wait this whole fucking night out. So no, I think you're right. I think that, um, I think we're meant to, to wonder who can, who can really win this world? And so we're definitely going to find that out. Oh, for sure. So, John, who do you think dies next? Well, it's only episode three, so I don't think any of the main characters are going to die. But I think that we're going to start seeing that party scene dissolve into, like, almost chaos. Or what's going to happen with Allison and Jane might come to a head. I definitely think because it's only ten episodes that the real killings might not happen until like four or five or even like six, but I definitely think we're going to start seeing some minor people really be killed. And also how the show left off like this, you know, the purge narrator who probably is just Rush Limbaugh. They got to guest star. He probably was able to use his own purge mask on his own. I, rather I than, hear Steve Bannon's looking for a job. So. Yeah. Steve Bannon's looking for a job and definitely we need to make sure that horror crux gets destroyed sometime soon. So I hear that, you know, what's going on in the radio as we leave the show and what we see is, you know, I think some, some death coming our way for some of our characters that we've, um, been introduced to. I would really like to advocate for that cult leader on the blue bus to be the next death. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's coming in the next episode, but I do foresee like a Lord of the Flies type situation where that bus is inevitably going to turn on her. Is that actress's name Fiona Dorif? Yeah. So the, the character's name is good leader Travis. Oh, okay. Good leader. Oh, that's super creepy. Okay, so Super I, would, creepy. I would like for good leader Travis to be the next death. Um, but even if I have to wait a couple episodes to see it, I cannot wait. I cannot wait either. Um, so that wraps up this episode of Pop Culture Theologians. That um, definitely wraps us up. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back uh, next week. And definitely please subscribe, leave a review so that way we can know what you're thinking and ultimately follow us on Tuesday nights on East Coast or West Coast times. We live tweet and we are having a lot of fun with some of you on Twitter. So please come join us. And like we said at the beginning of the episode, we're so excited to have Je Jessica Mizell, um, who I just realized was also on the show, The Resident that I watch. So we're really excited for her to come on the episode Wait, and to bring the, that to you. The medical show, The Resident? The medical show. She's I a nurse on the show. show. I was yes. super digging that show. Yes. So oh, John. Sorry. Guys, it's not over. Lila is new Clementine in Westworld. Well, there's ultimately a Wild Things pool scene that we didn't even have time to go into. Oh but God. we all know that's not going to end well. <laughs> so, all right, everyone. Thank you for listening. And we'll be here next week. Happy, Happy purging. purging.